Good morning, Uni University Reformed Church. My name is Pat Quinn. I'm the Director of Counseling Ministries here at URC, and I always consider it a, a tremendous privilege to be able to serve this church by preaching, and it's always a joy to preach to so many faithful lovers of Jesus. This is the first time I've been in this sanctuary in a month, and I, I miss you all, but I know we're together in the Spirit, as Jason said. The Lord is uniting us. Um, so we welcome you and especially welcome any of those people who are tuning into this live stream from beyond this church. We're really glad you're with us, and we pray that especially that the Lord will speak to you and touch you this morning. Let's go to prayer before we open up God's Word. Father, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. You are the Lord. Your Son is Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. We come to your word this morning, Father, asking that you would disarm any natural resistance to your word, that you would overcome any natural rebellion. Lord, give us soft, humble, and hungry hearts that we might receive this word and treasure it and live it out to your glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. Mark 5, we're going to read from verses 21 through 43. Jason preached on these verses several months ago as he's been working through the Gospel of Matthew. My purpose is not to try to improve on that, but this is a wonderful passage. Mark gives us a few additional details, and I think it has some really helpful things for us this morning. So Mark 5 starting in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him when he was about beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, 
Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to come follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha, kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. This is God's holy and errant word. We pray that God would write it on our hearts and live it out through us this week. Here we have two seemingly impossible situations. And I think we can all relate to that. There are times in our lives when the circumstances are overwhelming and we feel without hope. Some of you may be feeling that even this morning. And ultimately, the most impossible situation finds itself in this story, death. Death, the final enemy, the wages of sin. But in these two stories, Jesus shines forth with hope-filled love and power, even in the face of death. And so I want to share with you this morning 10 reasons why we can love and trust Jesus. Ten reasons to love and trust Him. So let's think about these together. Reason number one that we can love <clears throat> and trust Jesus. Jesus is compassionately responsive to urgent requests for help. One of the rulers of the local synagogue, a man named Jairus, comes to Jesus with an urgent request. He says, my daughter is at the point of death. Would you come lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live? Now, as a father and a grandfather, I can't think of any more urgent requests than that. So what was Jesus' response? Mark simply says, and he went with him. There's no hesitation. There's no asking for details or more information. He just starts off walking home with Jairus. So this looks promising. But wait a minute. Let's think about this. Jesus could have agreed not just to help Jairus soon when they got to his house. He could have simply said, Jairus, go home. Your daughter will live. We know he did that in other situations, but he didn't. And by agreeing to walk to Jairus' house, there's going to be a delay. In fact, there's going to be a very costly interruption by the bleeding woman. And that means an extended time for Jairus to have to wait anxiously. And that reminds us that Jesus always hears and responds to our cries for help. But the timing and the method of help is up to his Father's sovereign will. There may be delays. There may even be frustrating interruptions. 
We may encounter life-threatening illness or incurable disease or even the finality of death. But as we will see, they cannot hinder Jesus from responding compassionately. So right at the beginning, where it's implied that we are to trust the one who always responds compassionately. Reason number two why we can love and trust Jesus. Jesus is absolutely undaunted by impossible situations. Notice there are three increasingly difficult situations that Jesus has to deal with. First, there's a daughter at the point of death. We could call that urgent. Next, there's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. She spent all her money, gone to many doctors, and not gotten any better, but only gotten worse. We could call that desperate. Third, during the delay, the daughter of Jairus dies. We can call that beyond all help. And yet, Jesus is unfazed by the escalating intensity of these problems. Sickness, incurable disease, even death itself do not trouble him. And that's because Jesus is not an ordinary man. He's not just even a holy man. As he will tell his disciples later in this gospel, in Mark 10, all things are possible for God, and Jesus is God. I wonder this morning, do your problems seem to be escalating out of control, beyond all hope? God is calling us this morning to remember his son, to remember who he is, and to remember what he's like, and to keep looking to him. Number three, reason to love and trust Jesus. Jesus calls needy sinners to engage with him face to face. Let's go back to the story. As Jesus follows Jairus, a woman stealthily approaches him. She's a woman on a mission. She says, if I even touch his garments, I will be healed. And she does touch, and she's immediately healed. And Jesus perceives that power has gone out of him. And so he says, who touched my garments? The disciples can't believe it. Jesus, you see this crowd. There's probably several people that just touched you. How can you even ask that? Imagine you are that woman in that moment. What are you feeling? Joy? Relief? That you've just been healed? Yes. A rising anxiety that you're just about to be exposed, maybe even some terror? <clears throat> yes. Mark says she came in fear and trembling and fell down before him. Why the fear and trembling? Well, under the law of Moses, her continuous bleeding for 12 years has made her continuously unclean. She shouldn't even be in this crowd, much less touching a rabbi. According to the law of Moses, she has just made the rabbi unclean. And she did it in kind of a sneaky way. She wasn't open. She didn't just come up to him. She kind of snuck up and ambushed him. And so she's undoubtedly expecting a stern rebuke from Jesus and maybe a lot of booing and hissing from the crowd. But beyond all hope, beyond all belief, Jesus doesn't rebuke her. He actually 
reassures her. So why did Jesus call her out of hiding? Why did he insist on a face-to-face -face encounter with her? I believe it's because while Jesus certainly wants to help us with our problems, he wants so much more than that. Jesus doesn't merely want to help us. He wants to make disciples. He wants lifelong learners and followers. Jesus came to show us God. Jesus came to reveal his glory and restore our worship. And Jesus longs for you and for me to know him, to love him, to trust him, and to follow him as committed disciples. Fourth reason why we can love and trust Jesus. Jesus responds powerfully to the touch of faith. Let's flesh out the story a bit more. Mark says she had heard the reports about Jesus. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body she was healed of her disease. There you have it. She heard about Jesus. She sought him out, and she touched him in faith. I think this describes the goal of all gospel ministry. Let's think about ourselves for a moment, not just as needy people like Jairus or the woman. We are also Jesus' disciples. We are called to minister to others. So what is the goal, whether it's in the pulpit or on campus, in growth groups, in counseling sessions, around the dinner table or in family devotions? The goal of all gospel ministry is to use scripturally faithful and creative means to point to Jesus, to show Jesus, and to lead big people and little people to touch him in faith. Now, that sounds kind of mystical, doesn't it? To touch Jesus. What does that even mean? Well, I think we often make it more complicated than it needs to be. Every sincere cry, every Prayer in Jesus' name, no matter how feeble, is touching Jesus. And it always brings a response from him. I love Paul's phrase in Romans 10, 13. Paul says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I love that because it's simple. It often seems like there's things that may be required that seem complicated or maybe beyond my faith. But when I read that, I say, I can do that. I, I can call out, Jesus, help me. Jesus, save me. I, I can do that. Like Jairus, when we do that, we may encounter delays. We may encounter even unexpected hindrances. The answer may not be exactly when or what we thought it should be. But Jesus himself promises that if we ask, we will receive. Number five reason to love and trust Jesus. Jesus confirms and commends genuine faith. I love how Jesus responds to this woman's faith. She comes in fear and trembling. She falls before him, anticipating displeasure at her presumption. But Jesus responds with, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace 
and be healed of your disease. Don't you just marvel at his mercy and grace? He tenderly calls her daughter. You know, Jesus called his own mother woman, but he calls her daughter. And you notice there's two daughters in this story, aren't there? There's the daughter of Jairus. She's the daughter of a synagogue ruler. She's clearly a daughter of Israel. But this woman has been an outcast, a reject, unclean for 12 years. She probably doubts that. But Jesus calls her daughter and says, you too are a daughter of Israel. And by doing that, he restores her to community. She's been rejected for 12 years. He offers her the peace that has eluded her for so long, and he confirms her healing and the new life that he's just given her. This is the Jesus that we come to in our troubled times. This is the Jesus we seek to help others come to in their most desperate times. He is the gentle healer who took our own illnesses and diseases and griefs and sorrows in his own body. He's the strong deliverer. He's the one who longs to give new life to everyone who reaches out to him. I wonder if you can see him today with the eyes of faith. Do you see him? Do you trust him? Number six, sixth reason to love and trust Jesus. Jesus confronts fear and despair with do not fear, only believe. I am very thankful that the Bible is utterly realistic about life. It's very possible for us in our ministry to sound simplistic, to, to imply that if you just know enough of the Bible, and if you just learn these principles, then all your discipleship and all your prayers and all your following Jesus will be relatively easy. But that's not what this story teaches. It was not easy to be in this story. And you know and I know from our own experience, it is not easy to follow Jesus. Now, we know that if you follow Jesus, things end well. We know it ends well for Jairus and his daughter and this woman. And we know that if we believe in Jesus, our stories end with the happiest of all happily ever afters. But this story shows us there are also surprising setbacks. There's unexpected plot twists along the way, and they're never easy. Think about Jairus. After waiting anxiously when Jesus stops to deal with this woman, you can just feel the anxiety rising. After waiting, someone comes from his house and says, Jairus, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any longer? Can you just feel the kick in the gut? Brothers and sisters, friends, life is often really hard. Things feel desperate, and we cry out to God, and then sometimes they get worse. Things seem to go from difficult to desperate to improbable to impossible. Have you ever been there? Maybe some of you feel that way this morning. So what are we to make of Jesus' seemingly crazy reply, do not fear? Only believe. 
what do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean believe? Believe in what? My daughter's dead. What am I supposed to believe now? You could have healed her, but you waited. Now what? I think in those moments, everything depends on remembering. Remembering what we so easily forget and remembering what we often have such a hard time believing in the first place. Jesus is not just another holy man or religious teacher. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the resurrection and the life. He is the supreme and all-powerful creator and redeemer and sustainer of all things. He doesn't just have the power to heal the sick. Jesus has the power to raise the dead. So it's so important for us, big people and you kids too, to think about Jesus every day, to think hard about his power and his compassion and his love and how he does not change. He's the same today as he was in this story. We need to think about him so we can love him and trust him when things seem hopeless. Seventh reason why we can love and trust Jesus. Jesus radically reinterprets hopeless situations. Now, I get it that some of these reasons are starting to bleed into each other. They sound similar, but that's okay. <clears throat> Remember, Jairus hears, your daughter is dead. That's hopeless, right? Death is final. It's the end of life. It's the end of hope. It's the final loss of everything. Or is it? What does Jesus think about death in this story? What is his interpretation of these events? Again, his reply is shocking. But if you hear it, it is shockingly hopeful. Jesus says, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead. She's sleeping. And we're thinking, really? Jesus, if, if this story took place today and this, this child were in a hospital hooked up to a life support system and you looked at the monitor, it would be flatlined. Jesus, she's dead. So why does Jesus say she's not dead? She's just sleeping. It's because to him, death is merely sleep. And he could wake up this daughter of Israel from death just as easily as you woke up your daughter this morning by simply calling her name and telling her to get up. This is what it means to be the son of God. You see everything differently. You interpret everything differently because you have all power and authority in heaven and on earth. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus does. He radically reinterprets are hopeless situations because for him there are no hopeless situations. Are you facing one today? What is it? If you try to figure it out yourself, if you try to fix it yourself or just manage it with whatever the world's resources are, you'll ultimately fail because 
We just don't have the resources to fix hopeless situations. But there's an alternative. If you connect your story, even with this hard chapter, to Jesus' story by faith, then he will reinterpret your story realistically and yet ultimately hopefully. Because his story ends not just with death, but with resurrection. And if you connect your story to his, then ultimately your story is not a tragedy. It's a comedy. Eighth reason to love and trust Jesus. Jesus tenderly raises little ones to new life. Talitha, Kumi, little girl, I say to you, arise. Some of you know that one of our granddaughters is named Talitha. She's two and a half. She's pint-sized. She's fierce. She's funny. She's an utter, utter delight. When Leandra, her mom, was pregnant with her, there was a time when they thought they lost her. Thankfully, that didn't turn out to be the case. So one of the reasons they named her Talitha was because they felt like they had received her back when they thought they had lost her. So the name Talitha and this story are very precious to me and my family. And again, I'm drawn to the power and the tenderness of Jesus. He just quietly speaks, no fireworks, and he raises her to new life. What compassion on her mom and dad. What love for this little girl. What power to raise the dead and what a burning desire Jesus has for each one of us to see him as he really is, to love him more than we love our own lives, and to trust him with whatever is most precious to us. Just two more. Number nine, Jesus cares about our most practical down-to-earth needs. Now, most of this story just soars. We're in the stratosphere of Jesus' power and authority over sickness and death. It's like we're breathing the air of heaven and we're walking on holy ground. And that's a good thing because we need to be struck every day with the power and the majesty of Christ. But it just makes me smile that the last sentence of this utterly amazing story is, give her something to eat. It's kind of like Jesus is saying, she looks a little pale. She just came back from the dead. Why don't you make her lunch? Jesus does all things well. He's got everything covered, doesn't he? From the glorious heights of heaven to the most mundane needs of earth, Jesus cares about and responds both to our desperate cries for divine power and our most ordinary needs for food and drink. And all we can say is, hallelujah, what a Savior. He does all things well. This is a little bit of an aside here. But this last sentence just kind of hints to us why, why our church has both a session of elders and a diaconate of deacons and deaconesses. Elders provide the spiritual care and governance. 
and the diaconate, the practical, give her something to eat kind of care. And together, the session, our elders and our deacons and deaconesses show the comprehensive care of Jesus for his church. I hope you're thankful for both in our church and how they reveal the glory of our Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And finally, number 10, the 10th reason to love and trust Jesus. Jesus is utterly wonderful in every way. There's not much more to add here. All the other nine statements point to this. The story is an eloquent testimony to the beauty, the greatness of Jesus, and it impresses upon our hearts that the only reasonable response to him is not just to believe in him, that's really important, but to, become, um, to be overcome with amazement. That's the reasonable response. That's the goal of all our ministry. Again, whether it's from the pulpit or discipling on campus, counseling, growth groups, we want people to be overcome with amazement with this Savior. We want nothing less than grateful worship and devoted, joyful service to the King. This is our privilege, and this is our responsibility. So, ten reasons in this story to love and trust Jesus. And let me just say, in closing, that all ten of these reasons are pointing to the greatest reason to love and trust Jesus, that He took our sins, He took our guilt, He took our weaknesses and our sicknesses and our griefs and sorrows, all the things that we deserve, He took them in Himself on the, on the cross and died. And He said that there is no greater love than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. So they all point to the greatest reason to love and trust Him. So let me encourage you this week to commit yourself to learning and living out these 10 reasons to love and trust Jesus, and then to lavish them on those that God brings into our life this week. Would you pray with me? Father, we stand in awe before your Son, who is the radiance of your glory and the exact imprint of your nature. He is your beloved Son in whom you are well pleased. He is the one who now sits at your right hand in all power and glory and authority. And he is the one who will come again to judge this world. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that these two stories of Jairus and the woman and how they point to the beauty of Christ, and how they point to the pinnacle of your grace and glory in the cross. We pray that far and wide, this message would go today with power. Beyond my words, let your word come home to hearts with great power and authority. Would you open eyes to his beauty? Would you, would you disarm and and penetrate hard hearts to see Him, to believe in Him, 
and to turn to him. And I pray for all of us at URC, Lord, that it would be our glory and our privilege to live for Jesus this week and to love in his name and to point people to him in our families, in our neighborhoods, wherever you put us, Lord. And Father, in all of this, we pray that Christ would increase and we would decrease and that our joy would be full and that you would be glorified. And we pray all these things in his matchless name. Amen.